G'day listeners. Welcome to Bar Karate, the sailing podcast. My name's Jordan Spencer and it's that time of the week where we get to hang out with some cool sailors. But unfortunately, I have to do it with my two idiot mates. So first off, let's welcome Mr. Brett Perry. Greetings, exalted one. BP. If you told me, uh, well, a year or two ago that we'd be doing two or three episodes a week of the show, um, <laughs> I wouldn't have believed you. Uh, does that mean we're becoming popular or what's going on? I'll never be popular, BP. People find me resistible. <laughs> Righto. Uh, I'll leave that. Move on. Uh, well, let's get the other guy. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr. Uh, Mr. Nick Boss. I've heard that before, Jordan. Yeah. And not out of your mouth. <laughs> 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 hey boys, quick one. T-shirt sales yep. are going through the roof. Oh, They're cool. literally marching out the door. But there, we've come across a certain demographic. Yeah, we have I found. <laughs> Let, let's just say <laughs> our standard purchaser. We need to buy a, a bit of a bigger, um, a bigger bag well, to send their equipment. I remember clothing. from the old retail days, boys, the breakdown used to be, let's say it was two extra small and three small and sort of five or six medium and then three extra large and one or two double extra large. What's what? Yep. How would you describe it? Uh, put it this way, we've got a shitload of smaller mediums on the shelf. <laughs> <laughs> the we might stuff. have to uh, tweak the formula somewhat mm. on the next limited edition. That's good. That's good. Right, eh? But actually, yeah, just quick for the for the listeners, um, if nothing is in the store, just send us an email because I have full access to to uh, to make more. So just let us know. Cool. Cool. All right. Um, okay. Let's get into it, boys. We've got a great guest this week, and I, I think we're all pretty keen uh, on this guest. I may be the most excited one here out of this because this guy's name has certainly. As I was growing up and uh, mucking around in the sport, he was sort of a few years older than me and his name seemed to pop up non-stop all the time in the world of windsurfing. Um, we all know we love windsurfing on this show so uh, and we love that early era where it really kicked off when windsurfing, we all sort of got into it about the same time and uh, this guest today got into it just in front of us but comes from a sailing family so we can talk across all elements of sailing is uh, a bronze medalist in the 84 Olympics, gold medalist in the 88 Olympics, and a coach. So uh, just missed out in the 92 Olympics. I think a bit of broken equipment caused a problem there and then coached for another three Olympics. So an absolute legend from New Zealand. So as soon as I say that, every single person in the world knows straight away that we're going to be talking to Bruce Kendall. Welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, guys. <laughs> what a good... It- you can thank Jordan and his uh, and his research team for uh, <laughs> <laughs> gathering all the information. That's a, that's a very nice summary. Thank you. Yeah, perfect. On on point. <laughs> on point, mate. Um, I, I'll, I'll be honest. Uh, I, I'm particularly chuffed because you know. Um, We've got a few overlapped. You're a few years older than me, not much older, but uh, I think we overlap. When I was a little tiny teenager, just getting started, I remember. I'm sure it was was it the Cannon Ocean Marathon or something out of Sydney up to Long Reef or something like that. Do you remember that event? Yes, I reckon. Yes, there was a there, there was a fantastic race. It was probably it was incredible. Yeah, it was a, uh, the Cannon Open Ocean Marathon. That's and it started inside Manly Harbour. Yeah, That's it. and we um, and back in those days, a race start. All the equipment was on the beach. 
and we were all standing on the seawall and the they sounded the hooter and you'd run down the beach, grab your gear into the water and and there was no wind. Yeah. <laughs> so we had to sort of pump our way out through and around the heads out into the um, sea breeze and, and from memory it was um it was a southeasterly and sort of blew us downwind all the way up to Long Reef. And um, I, from memory, there was um, a really nice big ocean swell. Yep. And um, the advantage was that I'd, I'd, um, I'd designed and helped to build my own board and, and boom and, and modified my own sails. And and, um, and I was just able to get the board on the plane on the waves and I caught the wave and I was away and, and I just smoked the whole fleet. Wow. Down to land. Uh, um, Long reef and uh, rounded the boy, and then of course just had to cover all the, you know, all the uh, sailors that were racing up back up into um, around the Sydney heads back into Manly, and it was um, it was uh, pretty amazing. And and at the time, um, it was the biggest prize money ever in the south, he- uh, the southern hemisphere. So we had sailors come from overseas for this race, mm. and um, and Bruce, I remember Bruce Wiley sailing to me, saying to me just at the time, he goes, well, got to remember that um, we might not ever have an, an event with this much prize money again. And I went, really? Oh, I thought, that's disappointing. <laughs> and he was right, unfortunately. <laughs> He's a pretty smart. Yeah, so you just got, to go out and, just got to go out and win it. Yeah, and um, I, I basically got the money and paid off my debt to my parents that I'd been borrowing money to go overseas and race and what have you because I'd, I'd be working for six months and then go race for or sail for six months. And so I paid off all my debt and um, went straight to Maui and lived in Maui for a few months and went wave sailing, which is actually all I really wanted to do. Wow. Wow. That's the dream. Just, what what were the uh, – for that particular race, what was the equipment rules? Just whatever you brought, or yeah, no, no rules, yeah, no rules. Oh wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah. at that Love stage, that. the I think I think my uh, sale from memory was a uh, uh, seven point eight, yeah, something like mm. that. And yeah. um, that was like the biggest yeah. sale at that stage that um, was functional. All the bigger sales, I think, had problems with uh, masts. I think at that stage was we were using aluminium masts. Yep. I, that's I, right. I, I um I don't think there were any um composite masts or carbon fiber masts at that stage. Excuse my ignorance. And, what year um, was that? <clears throat> oh, good question. Probably... I think I think there's eighty six. Eighty six, yeah. yeah, right. It yeah. might have been. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, something like that. Eighty five, eighty six it would have been, something like that. Long time yeah. ago. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And um what a golden era in windsurfing. Gosh, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. it was um it was definitely the, the, the best period of my life, I'd say. Traveling around, going from competition to competition, winning prize money, and that was pay for enough to go to the next event. And it was just, it was kind of like um, gambling, you know. You'd say, "Well, yeah. <laughs> who's going, and how much is it going to cost me to get there?" And you sort of weigh it all up and go, "Yep, I've got a fairly good shot at that." And off you go. It was fantastic fun. Well, so, you mentioned, so you mentioned you won the race to to pay your parents back. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> they they obviously uh, they were sort of a bit skeptical of your career choice uh, from early on then. Um, no, actually, um, very supportive. Um, I um, when I left school, I went um, sheet metal labouring, so I was working with people out of prison and what have you. Um, working with people that hadn't had an education past the age of thirteen, I saw some uh, eye-opening stuff. Um, um, worked a whole day with a guy all covered in tattoos, and I was like, "Mate, where'd you get your tattoos from?" He goes, "Oh, that was when I was uh, in solitary, mate." <laughs> <laughs> oh, what did you do? 
He goes, oh, that was for armed robbery and assault of a police officer. (laughs) Really? You know? So those are the people I was sort of working with at the time, and and, uh, I found it quite good entertainment, to be honest. But um, I have to say when I had the opportunity to go overseas and race, I was was gone. You know, it's uh, so much more fun. And, And leading up to the Olympic Games in 84 and 88, um, the uh, amateur rules were well in force. And mm-hmm. so there was this, um, if you won any prize money, you had to give all the prize money oh. to the Yachting Federation. Wow. And they doled it out to you. Oh, that's You'd have to come back to them with um, receipts and justification and the whole thing and, wow. and uh, on, on you go. So um, it's quite different to now. Like a, like a trust fund. <laughs> Here, here's a deposit. Yeah. I'm only allowed to take out, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, show your receipts, yeah. show everything. Wow. Yep, yep. So Before it's, it's we quite go, tight, so. have you got any left in your fund? <laughs> oh, no, yeah. Burn that up. <laughs> Before but we go too far, just uh, while we talked about that Cannon event, there was a that was a good summer because I reckon that same summer I did like a summer and you know I was at the back of the fleet keeping everyone entertained, but I remember there was a, an event and I, I suspect you may have been there, mate, if you were banging around Australia. It may have been the Peter Jackson down at Cronulla and um, it was a big, 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 huge number of people turned up. But uh, when you got across the finish line and stepped onto the beach, there was penthouse pets waiting for you with champagne. <laughs> Those are the days. They were the days. Well, yeah, let's just go step back again. Peter Jackson, so you got a cigarette <laughs> sponsor. yeah. Yeah, well, look, that, who, I've, who supplied the booze? <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've, I've got to say, back in the day, um, alcohol and cigarette companies, particularly alcohol companies, were right into funding windsurfing events. Mm. Um, Don't get the correlation the Peter, there. Yeah, the, the Peter Jackson Blue Water Classic, my sponsor was Foster's. Wow. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I had the great big blue F on my sail and, and – um, yeah. We had um, a series in New Zealand sponsored by Rynek Beer. Um, that went pretty. The series went really, really well. I'm not sure how well the sales of the beer went, but <laughs> we had a lot of fun. And I remember the um, uh, in America we had um, the um, Myers Rum competitions, mm-hmm. and so all the events are sponsored by Myers Rum, and it made for fantastic parties. So it was <laughs> I'm, just I'm a gonna, fantastic time to be in sport. It was so much fun. I'm going to stay in this era. I'm going to stay in this stay in this year at the Dead Kennedys. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell us about yeah, the routine well, and how the Dead Kennedys played a part in that. <laughs> okay. Um, good question, actually. Um, wow. I, I think... Our generation, we're a special generation in a sense because I, I, I like to think of us as the music generation. You know, mm. it was in our time that we saw the the advent of reggae and punk rock, um, disco, all kinds of music, you know, and and like you guys, I was right into music. So I, I've got a very eclectic um, taste in music, uh, all kinds of stuff, and I've travelled the whole world collecting music. And uh, leading up to the Olympic Games, um, in 88, I thought <clears throat> really to, to do well, you've got to be tougher than all the other sailors. And so somehow I've got to find that extra little bit of something that's going to make me uh, stronger and fitter and all the rest of it. And so I thought, well, with humans, if 
you're involved in a really serious bad event like a car accident. Humans have been known to be able to lift a car off somebody, you know? Mm. And I thought, well, how the heck can you do that? So I thought, well, what's the what's the strongest emotion I can think of to to make me really strong? And I thought, well, fear of death is probably the, the strongest one. And so how can I really get my body going in the morning? So I used to wake up in the morning to the dead Kennedys. <laughs> <laughs> And, and I think that the song Holiday in Cambodia was my favourite song, and, wow. and um, I particularly like that song. Is an interesting background that um, that song was uh, never allowed to play in America on the radio. Wow. And that album um, was so disturbing to the, the American government that they went in and shut down the dead Kennedys and took all their material and they weren't allowed to sell anything. So it was very, very underground. <laughs> um, and uh, it was quite difficult to get hold of. And uh, a friend of mine, Mike Gephardt, introduced me to the Dead Kennedys, and, man, and I was able to get some tapes from him. So that's how I managed to oh, get wow. that, um, the Dead Kennedys. So, uh, yeah, uh, so in the morning, most of the sailors would leave the hotel and, and go on a bus and get the bus ride. So um, I didn't want to do that, so I, I got a, um, a, a skateboard in the beginning and then I crashed on the skateboard and my um, <laughs> skin off my hand and... And so the team manager wouldn't let me ride the skateboard anymore, so they gave me a bike. And so I'd, I'd, I'd race the bus to the Olympic venue on my bike because I thought, well, I've got to get my heart going. And I wore wow. glasses and, didn't, and, and, was, and wasn't really um, engaging with anybody, which is not normal for me, and I just really focused on being in my angry little state. <laughs> so so when your, I hit so the on water, your bike, I was so on your bike fully, on fully fired up. Sorry, so on yep. your bike and on your skateboard with your Walkman. Back then it would have been a cassette. Yep. A yeah, you're good point. It was the hey. age of Walkman. <laughs> the Walkman yep. man. <laughs> the walk Maybe um, yep. the, the other thing you could have done, Bruce, is just got a hair transplant and got red hair. That would have given you some anger. <laughs> <laughs> like Tom. <laughs> exactly. Oh, you must um, – before we get on to your Olympic career then, the um, – now that the the skateboards at the Olympics, is there a chance of a comeback, Bruce? <laughs> well, I, I have to I have to admit that um, I've always liked skateboarding. I've never been particularly good at it. Oh, okay. And I think the thing I've always been really fascinated about is bolt riding. And mm. it wasn't until I got to the Olympic Games and uh, coaching the Hong Kong team in Rio, and there was a skate park with a with a skate with some nice bowls and half pipes and what have you, directly across the road. Mm. So I bought myself a carver skateboard um, off one of the Hong Kong sailors because she was going back to Hong Kong, and um, I, I learnt to ride a skateboard in a bowl in my 50s. Wow. So who would have who would have thought? I thought I thought all that sort of stuff was over by the time you're sort of in your late twenties, but no, you can learn stuff in your fifties. I love it. And wow. There's yeah, hope for so shit, Jay. There's hope for shit, mate. Yeah. And and I I've I've um it's funnily enough, I've become a ended up becoming a a politician on the Howard local board and um helped to reinvigorate um a local skate park because it was it was rough and not being used mm. and all the rest of it. I've, I've um, worked with some people to get it all nice and smooth and now it's activated and filled with people and, and I really oh, want to wow. um, get the whole skateboarding thing going and, and just use my carver because it's a lot more like surfing and yeah. and I guess the reality is that I, I, I just love surfing, um, catching ah. waves and um, and so you know skateboarding's close to that and I live a long way from surf. 
Ah, okay. Mm. So where would you surf if you were like where you are? Like you're in Auckland, oh, eh? I have to go miles. I've got to go to the um, the west coast normally, oh, yeah? and um, that's about an hour drive. Is that like, are you talking, talking Mural Rag- or somewhere like Raglan, that? Raglan's area. Oh, no, it's it's secret one. spot, mate. Okay. Yeah, secret oh. spot. <laughs> Don't give that away. Look, I'm not very, I'm not very fit and strong at paddling and things, so um, I, I don't really compete very well with crowds, and so I like to go when there's no one else. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, I've got, I've got redhead, uh, I've got redhead blood, so um, if I get crowd, I just want to kill everyone around me. So, yeah, so. <laughs> you and I'll go to the same spots, mate, where it's quiet. <laughs> exactly. I, I heard that. Um, I, I've heard some horrendous stories from um, South Australia of of sharks and what have you. And uh, I spoke to a guy that was um, a shrimp uh, trawler down in South Australia, and he'd, he'd come from Byron Bay. So I said, "Oh, mate, do you um, do you surf anymore?" And he goes, "No, nah, no, nah, not since surfers went on the menu." Yeah. <laughs> and, he, and he told me these horrendous stories, yeah. and I was like, "Oh, okay, I get it." You know? And I'd heard about this um, um, break in cactus. Place called Cactus, and yep, I really yep. would love to have gone wave sailing in Cactus. And I spoke to a, a Kiwi sheep shearer that that's that was his spot. Yep. And uh, he Kiwi told me the story how, um, yeah, he, and he he would go to uh, Cactus and just hang there and and go wave sailing. And uh, he see one day it was a bit light and <clears throat> everybody wasn't sure if they'd be able to get out. And he went out the back and. And about the time he wanted a jibe and came back in, this shark came up and hit his board. Yep. And he was like, oh, okay. And he and he was a bit spun out, didn't know if he'd be able to jibe without falling in, so he just dropped his sail in the water. And um, these sharks would be sort of milling around in this group and then one would spin off from the group and fly at him and hit his board and then go back to the group. Wow. And so he stayed like that for ages with sharks coming up and hitting his board until they stopped doing it. And then he... Uh, he water started and sailed back to the beach. <laughs> wow! And all his mates on the cliff were watching and like, yeah. why isn't the idiot water starting to come back? What's he doing? Why is he just sitting on his board? Wow. <laughs> no idea. And then, and then drifted oh, drifted back off into the shed to continue his shearing. I'd, I'd like to say <laughs> that that's the methodology most used in SA to keep people off the brakes. Yeah. Just tell them stories like that. Yeah. There's a, a fair element of truth. A cactus, absolutely. <laughs> I'll tell you who's going to be listening to this episode. I'll just give him a big shout-out, Mal Higgins, who probably did the Peter Jackson when, when it was in South Australia against you. He's quite a superstar sailor, um, loves the dead Kennedys, and he goes over to cactus all the time for a surf. So, uh, oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Mal Higgins will definitely be listening into this episode. Um, <laughs> so, good day, Mal. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, cactus, you've got to be careful there, but it's an incredible wave, incredible wave. But, uh, yeah, anyway. Hey, how'd you get – your family's a, a sailing family, Bruce. Yeah, well, um, I, I guess we didn't have much choice when we were kids. Mm. Um, um, my father didn't want to um, get into a relationship with women because they didn't interfere with his sailing and uh, until he came across um, two, two, two young ladies that beat him to the top mark in a, in a sailing race and an arrow sailing dinghies and just down where I live here. And um, to make matters worse, what, after the, the girls rounded the top mark and were sailing downwind, one of them broke out a ukulele and started playing <laughs> ukulele in this race, right? Dad's like, who are these girls, you know? And so one of them, the, the one playing the ukulele became my mum. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, 
<laughs> and so um, they used to follow around my grandparents and the, the grand, um, and um, his father-in-law's um, uh, small launch, and they were in the Arrow sailing dinghy, which is like a, you know, I guess it's about a 14-foot open um, cockpit uh, mm. sailing dinghy with a yep. small spinnaker. And um, then they progressed to a mullet boat, and I'm not sure if you've ever heard of mullet boats, but oh. in New Zealand they're pretty famous. We do, um, um, and, we do know about New Zealand is their love for the mullet haircut. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, mullet's got a strong influence in New Zealand culture, <laughs> I guess. Anyway, uh, the mullet boat was a boat that they it was a it was a fairly um, shallow draft, wide beamy thing with as much sail as you could put on it. Because what they used to do is they used to go out and they'd catch as much mullet as they could and then they'd <laughs> race back to Auckland and try and get the best price, you see. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's where mullet boat came from. So anyway, mum and dad heard of one of those. And um, when mum was pregnant with me, who you know, her firstborn, I'd been inside for too long and she'd had enough. And so she rowed the mullet boat from Motahee Island all the way back to Bucklands Beach, which is a really long way. Yeah. I don't know anybody yeah. that's rowing anything that far. <laughs> <laughs> and the following week I was born, wow. and the following weekend I was out in the mullet boat again in the carry-on yeah. basket. Yeah, so sure. every weekend, every holiday it was out in the boat. And that was in June, middle of winter she, wow. she was doing that. So um, I've, I've myself and my um, – my sister's uh, Wendy and Barbara. Wendy's the middle one, and, and you've probably heard of Barbara Kendall, of my youngest sister. Mm, of course. Um, we've been brought up on boats, and so um, obviously I learned to sail in the family tender and, and um, then moved into mm. other little racing dinghies. And then when I saw windsurfing came along, I went, that's it. There's the bare necessities. You don't need a trailer and you don't need to do up any shackles with cold fingers, which yeah. is my Pete hate, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, and I was able to carry the windsurfer from where I lived at um, Pedersen Place. And Pedersen Place, incidentally, strangely enough, was named after Helmer Pedersen, who won New Zealand's first Olympic sailing medals. Oh. Um, and um, anyway, I used to take the windsurfer from my place down Langs Road, which is a very steep hill, to Bucklands Beach on roller skates. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very steep hill with a corner at the bottom. <laughs> and, of course, if you're going too fast around the corner, you, you couldn't make it around the corner, I'd sort of have to run out onto the beach with roller skates on or, or flip around <laughs> and try and go backwards onto the stoppers to stop. So, um, and, and fortunately I had a mate at the, that lived at Bucklands Beach with a shed that I could keep the equipment in, so I was able to go windsurfing. Wow. Um, but I'd have to say again that my main fascination was being able to go and catch waves. That was, that's my whole thing. And so all the boats going up and down the Tamaki River, my favourite thing was to go and catch the wave on a windsurfer. Mm. Crazy, isn't it? But, it's certainly mm. something there, the accessibility of windsurfing. It was just, yes. I mean, when when I started windsurfing, it was just such an easy thing to do. We'd leave our kit down at the at, at the yacht club and within yes. five minutes you're out in the water. Mm. Yes. As, as opposed uh, to, like you say, rigging up the boat, yeah. worrying about a crew, all those sorts of things. Trailers and yeah. cars and all that just made it all too hard. And, and when I first came across um, windsurfing, um, I obviously didn't have one. And what I'd do is go down to Buckland's Beach, and, when, and of course it was booming then, and um, mm. I'd wait around on the beach for somebody to come back into the beach that was a little bit tired. Yeah. And, and I'd say, oh, can I have a go on your board? 
<laughs> and so it I have to go out for long. Yeah, yeah. I wait, wait for them to. Well, I wouldn't be out there too long because otherwise they get pissed off, and I wouldn't be able to have another go. <laughs> uh, and I think my mum eventually got embarrassed and and um, <laughs> and and bought the fam the the family aboard. Oh, yeah. And um, of course, I I commandeered it, and I'd get very grumpy if I wasn't able to use it. So we had to get another board. Yeah. Oh, so. Wow. Um, and, and because we had this board, and I used, uh, I used to get badly seasick on our summer cruises. I'd get bored being on the boat, and so I'd, I'd windsurf next to the boat when we were going places. So mm. I ended up windsurfing from Auckland to Tauranga and wow. back, <laughs> and, and, fair and, fair and, and over like a week or two. But um, still, it's a long distance. Yep. And of course, I'd whiz over to that island or that rock, and then whiz back to the boat. And I had a few shark encounters and. Know, sailing through big workups of birds and things. So it was a fantastic time. But I think that that was probably one of the, the main factors for me getting good is because I just end up spending so many hours, mm. endless hours, day after day, long distances without a harness. Well, I actually made a harness at school because um, <laughs> you couldn't buy one back then. So um, at the engineering um, workshop at school, I got some stainless steel plate and a stainless steel rod, and then I used um, just a normal mild steel arc welder to <laughs> weld the thing together. And and then a mate of mine, um, his his uh, father was involved in a, a company that made car seat belts, so I got the the webbing and and made what? my first harness, which is an awful bloody thing. It was a cr- chest crusher, you know. You remember the yep. in the beginning, it was just yep. the hook in the middle, and. You, you couldn't hold uh, be in the harness for too long because no. you'd run out of breath because your <laughs> chest was so badly crushed. So that was my first harness. I went down to Taronga and back with that thing. Wow! So I, I th- thought you thought you were going to roll in, roll into your mate with the tattoos. Made one for you. <laughs> <laughs> so you had to, so you've gone from that like obviously growing up with the family holidays and how did that turn into competition sailing? Well, I I, I think that. That trip down to Taronga back um, gave me extra strength and skills that I wouldn't normally have had. And mm. and also, to be fair, when I was going to school, I used to ride to and from school and race the bus because I, I didn't want to catch the bus because it took too long and it cost money. And um, going on the bike was fast and um, racing the bus up the hill was good, you know, good fun. <laughs> and um, and down the hill you could get slipstreams behind buses and trucks and cars and things. Um, lucky I'm alive, I guess. I was anyway, just um, <laughs> I um, that that long amount of sailing made me really good at sailing without a harness. And of course, the Olympic Games in '84, yeah, and uh, in '84 was without a harness. That's right, the wing glider. Ah, yep. And so. Um, I, when we had our first Olympic um, trials, which was for uh, rep- to select the best windsurfer to go from New Zealand to go to the pre-Olympic regatta, the first pre-Olympic regatta in windsurfing in Los Angeles, which was nine, and that that event was in 1982. Mm. Um, I was fitter and stronger and faster than the other sailors, and I just won the uh, pre-Olympic regatta easily. Mm. Mm. Uh, and so I went to went to Los Angeles, and that um, was the first time I went overseas windsurfing. And then after I went to Los Angeles, we thought, you know, my parents were like, "Okay, well, look, this is a real thing," and they were very supportive of of me going sailing. And and um, my mother would encourage me to go training. 
Um, and so that then led to me going to Australia um, for the first time in um, summer of 1982 and um, did the Australian uh, Windsurfer Class National Championships. And, of course, at that stage, nobody knew whether it was going to be the wind glider board or yep. the windsurfer board. Yep. Mm-hmm. And in 1982, they didn't know. And that was yeah, – so – Really, the whole world only knew two years before the Olympic Games what board they were going to be using. Yeah. Imagine that. Imagine yeah. the whole world wouldn't know if it was going to be the laser or the fin dinghy two years before the Olympic Games as to what, yeah, what exactly. class you're going to be starting. That's quite significant. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so when I see sailors now complaining about, oh, you know, we don't know what we're going to be using and all that sort of stuff, I... Uh, I understand it's a problem if you're having to provide your own equipment, but at the Olympic Games in 84 and 88 and 92 um, and 93, um, the equipment was supplied. Yeah, and right. because because I didn't come from a wealthy family, I could only ever compete really in, uh, um, in events that um, – the equipment was supplied because I knew that everybody was going to have exactly the same equipment. So it wasn't really until 1986, you know, quite a lot later, that I'd been fully sponsored by the industry. I was sponsored at that time by um, Bombora. Yep. And uh, so they were able to pay the equipment and I was sponsored by Neil Pride. Yep. They mm-hmm. gave me the sales uh, and I made my booms. So um, I was able to compete on more of an equal playing field with with uh, with everybody, so uh, I only really ever used to focus on the Olympic Games. So that's why all the times in between, I didn't really bother too much about winning races um, because it was too hard because I couldn't afford the the, the top gear. It's pretty cool. Though, so right? um, I really, I really. So when it came to the Olympic Games, I was like, okay, now to be serious, yeah. <laughs> and I really zeroed in on it. You know. Uh, dead Kennedys and being serious all linked together. <laughs> yeah, well, and watching watching morning cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> what was your favourite cartoon? Oh. Uh, Roadrunner. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That cheers me up. Uh, so, so 1984, let's get to that. Is that okay, guys? To go to 1984, you, you, you were disqualified. Yeah. Um, Can you run us through that? Because with all your training and all your focus, you're Oh, that's right. You were too. You lost one of the races. I've done my research, Jay. I've done my research. Yeah, you did. You did your research. Yeah, I'm a bit taken aback. Um, Well, the interesting thing leading up to 84, as I said before, I I didn't have enough money to do what a normal campaign would be, which would be to go and travel around the world and race with everybody. So basically all I did is went, and I paid for my ticket. I paid for my air ticket to go to the Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. And I flew straight go. to Los Angeles. And I stayed at Bill Kingsley's house, which Yachting New Zealand had organised. So all the sailors could just go and use that as their home base in Long Beach. And so um, I could basically stay in this house and just go sailing every day. And so I'd sail every day. And um, so I was there for a month by myself, training by myself, which is really hard emotionally to do. Mm-hmm. And um, different teams would come through and they'd spend a couple of weeks and then they'd go back and do all these races overseas. And I just stayed in Long, Long Beach. I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't afford to. And, and um, uh, eventually I got another New Zealand training partner to be there. And 
all these teams had just come over and smashed me. And incidentally, I didn't have my own equipment. I borrowed um, a board from the Long Beach Windsurf Centre. And I didn't realise at the time it was a shit board. It was full of water. (laughs) And that's all I had. I didn't complain. I thought, well, this is what we were going to get. So that's cool. So I went and did my training. And I was just getting smashed the whole time, you know, all these teams coming over and smashing me. And I was like, and my trainer partner was like, hang in there, you know, you're only a little bit slower. Hang in there, hang in there. So I was like, oh, shit, okay. And then right before the Olympic Games, the teams arrived and um, the uh, all the sailors were given a training board. And this Canadian guy came out and he smashed me. And it was like, hang on. I know I'm better than that guy because at the World Championships that we had in Bermuda in um, 1983, I got sixth overall, and um, that qualified New Zealand um, to go to the Olympic Games because we had to prove that somebody was medal capable, which means that you'd have to finish in the top ten in the World Championships. And the rules have always been like that, and it's interesting that since then when New Zealand sailors haven't finished inside of the top ten, they're not given the nod to go to the Olympic Games. And they get pissed off and they go, that's not fair. And I'm like, well, it's always been like that. Yeah, it's the same <laughs> for Australia. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so anyway, um, here I am getting smashed by this Canadian guy and I thought, it must be the equipment. And yep. it's the first time in my life where I really went, right, I'm going to blame the equipment. Yep. And um, I went and got the training board the next guy, the next day rather, and I went out and I was smashing everybody i was just <laughs> i could go higher and faster and longer and i was just like woohoo here we go you know so maybe, so wow, maybe that maybe the fun maybe the heavy yes. slow old board was uh, giving you a better technique and then you, all of a sudden you've gone out and you you well it made wonder- me stronger suddenly yeah, yeah. it was it was lighter right because yeah, 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 i had yeah. no harness and everything and you're muscling around this pig of a board and then suddenly you got a fast one it's like wow, wow this is great and because I'd spent so much time there, I had a really good understanding of how that course worked. And, um, you know, the wind always slowly goes right during the day and our course was in between the two oil islands and I knew exactly what was happening with the wind, where the wind shadows were, where the lifts and the knocks were. So it was easy. So <clears throat> I, I couldn't start to save my life. And so I always started on port. <laughs> <laughs> Because if I started on starboard, they just roll me, and and I'd be deep in the fleet. And at least if I started on wow. port, I could bust out into uh, clear wind early, and I and it paid to go right anyway. And wow. um, so that worked out really well for me. And um, <clears throat> so anyway, um, on this particular race, I was um, I'd come from you know a little bit further back, and it was the Frenchman and I duking it out for first and second from memory. And we were a long way in front of the next sailor, which happened to be Spain Rasmussen that owns starboard. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And incidentally, leading up to the Olympic Games in 82, I became friends with, St- with Spain, um, but he didn't speak any English. And so I've been friends with St- Spain Rasmussen for a long time. And so I'm, I'm so, so proud of what Spain's achieved and, um, as a sidetrack, when I went to the um, World Sailing Conference, we had a whole day on um, on the environment and, and sustainability and pollution and all that sort of stuff. And out of all the presentations, he was the only one that was actually doing something, something yeah, real yeah. 
to fix things with yeah. his environmental problems. Every board he, he produces, him, he offsets. Yeah, and he went and engaged the company to go and tell him what to do because he got got so upset about what the industry has done to the environment. Yeah, and sure. so I'm so proud of what Spain's yeah. achieved. And that became more important to him than, you know, the design of the equipment and all the rest of it yeah. at that moment. So anyway, um, getting back to this race, um, um, the, the, the French sailor, um, what's his name? Anyway, he was, we rounded the bottom mark and it was the last, last beat to the top mark to enter the finish. And um, this was for a medal. Uh, no, this is in. I can't remember what race it was. It was just, just it was one probably. It was just one of the. We had seven races, one discard. Yep. And um, on this particular race, um, I think it was like the third race or so, fourth right. race. Um, and he was just. He rounded just in front of me. First, we we're first and second. So he was first around the bottom mark, and I was on his hip, and we're. To 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 make make it really clear, we're going into a right-hander, so we're going into a header, and I'm on his hip at the bottom mark, and I made managed to climb up off his hip and catch up to him, so that when he came to the um, shadow shadow at the oil island, and he was going to have to tack, it wasn't he wasn't going to be able to cross in front of me, mm-hmm. and um, I, I had him, and um, so. He was nodding at me before he tacked. No, no, sorry, he tacked, and then he was nodding at me um, because, like, he was going to let me in front of him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That old chest. Mm. And, and I thought, yeah, and I went, nah, I don't trust you, you know. So I tacked to leeward and in front of him and about probably a metre and a half, maybe two metres below him. Mm-hmm. But he knew that we're going to be going into another header there and he knew that if I had been in that position, I'd be able to squeeze him out and beat him to the beat him to the finish. So he was absolutely determined to get to lure of me on on the new tack on starboard, right? Yes. So, but he lost control of his board as as um, he tried to go through and underneath me, and he sailed across the back of my board, hit my boom, and knocked me in the water. And mm-hmm. he fell in the water as well, but he was able to get going because his sail wasn't to windward. And um, so he he um, he beat me in that race, and I think I came second in that race, or second or third. Anyway, um, at the finish, we both protested, and um, and I actually, when he went up to the finish line to to lodge his protest, they didn't know what he was saying, and I and they, and I said, oh look. He's he's protesting me and I'm protesting him, <laughs> so I helped him. Oh, oh, <laughs> no. You know, if I hadn't have said anything, it would have been just me protesting him. But anyway, and then it got into the protest room, and of course, the onus of proof is on the person yes. that that tacked to prove they tacked in clear water. And the only witness we had was Svein Rasmussen, who was too far away. He just saw two rigs fall in the water. Okay. He didn't actually know the details. He, and he wouldn't have been in the right position to be able to see what happened anyway. Mm. So um, I got disqualified, and um, I was so upset about that because he said I just tacked directly in front of him, and he, there was nowhere to go. So you know, mm. he lied, you know. But his English wasn't good, and he, you know, we were all young, and he would have been told what to say by you know the coaches or whatever. So you know, so it what, is what it is. Did and, that, um, and he, he 
he got he got disqualified um, in in a later race for pumping. He was the only disqualification in the Olympic Games for pumping at that wow. stage. Mm. I'm assuming you and he aren't friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Gildas Gildas Gillero. Um, no, he, he was an okay guy, but he he just didn't speak French, and and uh, the French tended to hang out together. I mean. People say, oh, back then um, the sailors weren't as good as they are now. And I'm like, well, I'm not so sure about that yeah. in some ways because in the end um, the amount of resource being pumped into the French sailors at that time was enormous. Mm. They had six mm. sailors yeah. over and two coach boats wow. yeah, for right. that one that one sailor, you know. And uh, and if another sailor from another country tried to do a lineup with the French sailors, the French coach boat would come over and just – push you off the course. So, <laughs> so you know. Buddy um, out there, cigarette into serious. your sail. <laughs> yeah, piss yeah. off. <laughs> and, and, I mean, in those days in Europe, there was you could win a car in a race. So how hard would you try and how much resource would you put into trying to win a race yeah, if sure. you win a car, you know? Yeah. So the incentive was pretty high to be good back then. So I think, you know, the level back then was pretty good too. Yeah. The French, ah, oh, shit, another Renault. <laughs> <laughs> Can't we win Italian cars? <laughs> the, um, ah, Citroën. <laughs> the, the good thing is, of course, you got your gold. Um, and when you yeah. in 88 and you came, uh, that made you the first multiple, like, person in New Zealand had won a, a medal back in multiple Olympics, I think, from memory. But that was on the Lechner, that's, which was a Div 2 board. So they went to yeah. the light wind, they went to a light wind board, and I'm pretty sure that Olympics was super windy. Yeah, you're right. Um, from my understanding, it's still the wind, windiest Olympic Games in history. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Um, I remember on one day we had six knots of current going oh. upwind Against Ooh. twenty knots. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I good remember fun on one a Div stage, Two board. It's going down. <laughs> I know. Well, I remember at one stage, um, we we're all trying to get around the bottom mark, and all of us <laughs> is like crash, 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 crash. We we're all in the piss, and we were looking at each other. <laughs> and the bottom mark was just there, and we couldn't get to it because every time you fell in the water, you go back up wind. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we knew it was just a race to get around the bottom mark. Wow. And uh, that race was just carnage. Everybody broke everything. It was um, it was a very windy race. Yeah, but wow. yeah, was, uh, when um, it was interesting. But did it mean like did the bronze mean much when you won that? And then was there a noticeable difference in New Zealand once you won the gold, or like um, was it just winning a medal? Was did you, you know? Yeah, interesting question. Um, financially, I profited more from my bronze medal. Mm-hmm because of the sponsorship I got from the industry mm. than I got from my gold medal. Was so, it just um, timing? My, my, my bronze medal, you know, all the windsurfing industry, because it was booming at that stage, wanted to pick me up and look after me, and, and I had a great time. I had income, and it was fantastic. By the time 88 came around, um, the windsurfing industry had gone and started to go into a bit of a decline, and also, I'm not sure if you remember that um, the 87 world stock market crash was a really big one. And in fact, the New Zealand economy got was one of the worst affected economies in the world from yeah. that stock market crash. Yeah. So when I won my gold medal, I um, it was interesting that um, 
um, Mark Todd, an equestrian rider, and um, Paul McDonald and Ian Ferguson, they also won gold medals. And they won gold medals at the Olympic Games in 84. So they were double gold medalists. Right, right. And so um, if there was any sponsorship going up, they'd prefer to go to those guys than to me. Okay. Um, so I didn't really profit from that gold medal very much. I, I got a, oh, well done, you went to the Olympic Games and you got a gold medal, fantastic. Um, are you going to go again? Yeah. <laughs> and that's about all I got, you know. Um, but having said that, the um, the gold medal has really helped me a lot in the latter years. Like, you know, even to this day, um, it's helped me. And I remember Chris Timms, who won the gold medal in 84th in the Tornado Catamaran, um, he and Rick Sellers won the silver medal in the Tornado in Korea. So they were also double Olympic yachting medalists and they got a, they've got a gold and a silver. But because I got uh, won the gold medal before the last race... Um, oh, that's right. Essentially, I, I, and I didn't have to sail the last race, um, essentially that meant that I was, you know, the first double, double gold medalist. medalist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, uh, <laughs> good, so good those technicalities. That, that gave me some profile. <laughs> and and I, as a consequence, I ended up being the flag bearer for the closing ceremony at the Olympic Games in Korea. Love so it. That, was, that was quite something. Hey, well, you know that we talked about just before you got that DSQ in '84, and you're starting. Were you a bit gun shy of the start in '88? Like, were you, were you just hanging off the line a little bit? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You've done your research. <laughs> yeah. Look, after my because in '84 and '88, um, there was no alternative um, penalty to getting disqualified for a uh, rule infringement. Yeah, you couldn't do that. So if you hit it, if you hit a mark, there was no rerounding the mark. If you You're hit out. another sale, you couldn't do a three sixty or a seven twenty or whatever, you know, what whatever it's been over the years. Um, it was basically disqualified disqualified if there was contact or or close to contact. Um, so the game was very different back then. It was a little bit more like chess. You, you were actually out to uh, you know eliminate each other. And um, because being from New Zealand and, and pretty small fleets most of the time, and um, by comparison, the standard in New Zealand wasn't as deep or as good as overseas. Um, and my starting was shit. <laughs> I couldn't start to save my life, you know. And um, and it was it was a real problem for me. So eighty four. Obviously, I had problems, and I knew that. So my my coping strategy was to start on port, and that worked out well for me. And the the, the venue sorted that because you had to go right anyway. But then in '88, of course, it was more open. And after I started, um, I think fairly early on in, in the Olympic Games, so I, I was doing well enough to be leading the Olympic Games in, in the windsurfing event. And um, and then as soon as you you're in that position, you know you've got a target on your back. And um, I was so nervous about having any incidents, especially after, you know, my experience with being disqualified with that French guy where technically I was actually in the right. If there had been a video or on the water jury or somebody in the right position, I would have been fine. But because it was his word against mine, I was gone. And uh, so I, I really didn't want to have that happen again. So I used to start about... Um, 
uh, keep about 10 metres downwind from the whole fleet during the whole starting process wow. <laughs> and at the race. So it was absolutely, absolutely clear to everybody that I was not going to have contact with anybody um, before the race or during the starting process. Wow. So I really kept the distance. Wow. And so did I'd have it, to it, pass everybody. I was going <laughs> to say, win. did anyone... Did anyone come at you? Did anyone go, hang on a sec, <laughs> let's, let's engage? No, no, nobody, nobody hunted me. And I think, I think that's an interesting um, difference between windsurfing and yachting. Mm. And what I've observed is that um, classes where the boats are fast, it's about racing mm-hmm. and going fast. And mm. classes where it's about going, uh, where you're going slow and, and the speed difference is just, aren't there enough to make the difference yeah, it's yeah. more about beating each other up so in a laser it's you know more about tacking on each other and covering people and 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 forcing people to do extra tacks which is very much the same in a keel boat but um in, to- in classes like the tornado and uh, windsurfing and what have you it's more about just going fast and i think in the windsurfing fleet at that stage we'd all done so much racing together that we and partying together, that we're all brothers, you know, wow. we all get on pretty well. And um, it was a bit of a bit more of a what goes around comes around. And um, yeah, sure. I've got a I've got a story about that with Dennis Connor actually, which is interesting. Yeah. And it's neat to see that that same sort of ethos of of um, sailing with a little bit more honour instead of using using the rules like chess and um, try to be in the spirit of actually racing the conditions and who can sail the fastest around the course rather than beating each other up. And um, so nobody had a go at me, and I didn't see that happen at the Olympic Games. And um, I haven't really seen that happen too much in Olympic windsurfing. So I I really like the culture of windsurfing. It's quite different to the other Olympic yachting classes. And um, and I really found that when I shifted to... Uh, the the professional windsurfing world tour, the um, the culture of those sailors is very was very different to the culture of the Olympic sailors. In the professional world tour, it was a bit more of a case of the haves and the have-nots, who's got the fastest gear. Whereas yeah. in the Olympic class, everybody's got the same. Um, the bar, the financial bar to have the same equipment as the other guy wasn't as high. It is now which I'm really disappointed about. And so um, people knew it was basically if you put in the work, you got the results. And if you're, if you're smart and good enough. And, and so um, the community was really a fun community to hang out with in the Olympic windsurfing class. And then when I shifted to, I did a uh, a small campaign in the tornado um, catamaran when we had the uh, leading up to 2008 and the culture there was quite different as well, and um, and it's because they didn't have the balance of women and men and and all the rest of it. Um, and I've got to say that when windsurfing opened up to having a women's class as well, which was quite unusual in some regards to the other Olympic yachting classes, and um, it really made the parties a lot more fun. The world champions <laughs> parties are something yeah. to behold. You know, it's fantastic. You know, I'm just, I'm just reading people. I'm yeah, talking my language. <laughs> I'm just reading reading an excerpt here from one of your interviews. It states that um, uh, carrying the flag and winning the medal was 
you know, was exciting, but it was the cheer at the end by, by the other windsurfers and the New Zealand sailing team. So it seems like to me that yeah. it's exactly what you say, that the, the, the sailors were, the camaraderie was a lot higher back then. Yeah, they, for me, it was more important to win with honour than to win by somebody else having something go wrong or um, a protest or something nasty like that. I mean, if you can get through and win and everybody's like, good on you, you've done, you know, you did that well and um, you didn't do anything wrong, didn't upset anybody, well, that's about as good as you can go, really. And, and yes, um, I didn't believe I, I'd won the medal until I got it. But And um, when we're going to do the, the last race, I didn't have to do the last race, I was um, – I was really cognizant that six sailors could win the silver medal mm-hmm. going to the last race. And they're all my mates, mm. really good yeah, friends. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and I really didn't want to go and influence that result in any way. So I went up to each one of them and I said, look, mate, um, I really don't want to screw up your chances. Um, I'm thinking about not racing because I don't want to get in between anybody. And they went, no, 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 you have to race. Oh, okay. So I, I started and I had a shit start and I sort of sailed around the middle of the fleet and just had a nice sail yeah. <laughs> and, and let them duke it out. And um, well, how it's always was, traumatic. How, how was that feeling? Obviously, you're out there and, and the conditions were the conditions, but you're out there, you've won the gold medal. Um, you did, did you actually sort of sort of take a step back almost and look at what was going on or did you just keep focused yeah. on the – yeah. Yeah. No, nah, good nah, I just I just had a sail around and you know, and I was like, Oh, I'm sailing shit today shit today. <laughs> Rail right up the say, last mate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I have to bit say of that splits on the rail. I'm, yeah, when I'm happy, my 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 racing's rubbish. You know, I'm just huh? too happy and I don't I don't really care too much, you know. <laughs> but if I'm really pissed off about something or somebody then my mind's quite sharp, and I, I'm um, I'm uh, I'm a lot more successful. Wow! But I'm not that nice to be around. Then <laughs> I don't like that person very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you must have been. I mean, to to start miles behind everyone and then still win with a race to spare. You must have been on the game. It's uh, pretty impressive. Did you have a question you were going to hit BP before I spoke? No. no okay. So. Bruce, what, um, we're running out of time for what we normally allocate and there's so much we want to ask. Like we're probably going to have to do a part two for you, I reckon, because there's when we haven't got to your next Olympics, we haven't got to all your coaching, all the other stuff that you've done. But I do remember, I do want to get into, you know, where we are currently with the sport because you designed a board, I think it was the Glide, is that right? Yeah, 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 yeah. You've done your research. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, of course, so that was yeah. part, that was uh, trying to be the next Olympic board to replace. Um, well, not exactly, actually. What was it? Um, what happened was um, I'd been coaching Pina Chen, who mm-hmm. won the silver medal at the Olympic Games in, in Rio. Yep. And um, I'd, I'd, I've been spending, I was the first, as far as I'm aware, I'm the first a non-Chinese person to coach Olympic yachting in China. So I've been coaching in China since 97. So all the top coaches in China, um, I coached them when they were windsurfers. And um, so I've got quite a a bit of empathy for their position and their situation. I I, I know most of them reasonably well. I know how they have to live. 
Mm. And um, she came, so I, I helped, even though it wasn't her coach leading up to the Olympic Games, I helped her a lot leading up to Rio. And then after Rio, she goes, Bruce, we've got a, can, can you help me? She says, have you designed windsurfing equipment before? And I went, yes. And, um, and at the, that time I was looking at designing a coach boat and uh, she goes, oh, and can you build windsurfing equipment in China? And I went, oh, probably. And she goes, well, the Chinese government has just passed a new law that they cannot import sports equipment and, um, unless they've got special reason. And she goes, in China, we need a really good learn-to-sail, learn-to-race windsurfing board. And I thought, great, we can do that. And uh, I thought, well, you know, I'm interested in low-hanging fruit. <laughs> I'd, I'd never, ever um, thought it was a good idea to get involved in the windsurfing industry. I've seen how fickle it is and how much people are in it for love, not money. And so, you know, making good economic decisions aren't always aren't always at the people's forefront of mind. <laughs> and um, having said that, I've seen Spain and Robbie and and, and um, Raphael Salz, another friend of mine, do very well out of windsurfing. Yep. Um, anyway, um, so I, I designed this board for Pena. And, in fact, in the beginning we were going to call it the Pena board. Right. So it would be branded after her. And so we did all the graphics and the design and everything, thinking it was going to be called the Pena board. And then she got advice from the Chinese Sailing Federation that it wasn't a good idea. And we thought about it a bit more, and then we went, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll call it something different. So we had to go through a lengthy process to decide what we are going to call it. So we called it the Glide. And that was really before foiling was doing doing anything significant. Yeah. And um, so it's it's funny how, you know, um, history has played out, but certainly um, foiling is, is the big thing now in, in, in sailing sports. And, it you know, it's awesome. I get it. But um, my focus was really to provide equipment with, that could be the ultimate um, one design Olympic equipment and good for youth and good for stand-up paddling and a really good all-around board and board and and it was the first time for many many years that I've had the chance to design a board. I mean, I designed a lot of boards in the eighties and and I was winning with them and I I really enjoyed that process. Mm. And so it was the first time I had to design a board again. I thought, yeah, great. Now I can get all the knowledge that I've been collecting over all these years and pile a whole lot into one bit of kit. And it's a good board. And huh? the problem is it's not foiling. Oh, I was just going to say. <laughs> and, yeah. And, 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 and I never wanted it to foil because when I saw foiling come along, I thought, well, this is going to be another evolution of the sport, which it has been. And I've seen all these evolutions in the sport happen before, like with kite surfing and stand-up paddle boards and that sort of thing. And um, it evolves really fast. And the people that invest in um, in trying to sell and um, make molds and sell the first lot of equipment always a lot of them struggle because it's moving so fast and you have to be nimble and keep on pumping out new ideas and products and it was just part of the reason that Spain has done so well um because he's pumped out lots and lots of designs and uh, cobra have allowed him to do that mm. um but with um my position over the years has been i don't 
I don't, as a, as a competitor that doesn't come from um, a strong, wealthy background, um, I like the idea of one board um, doesn't change. Everyone's going to have the same, um, and it's affordable, and you can fly around the world. It's all going to be the same. Um, you can fly with it on aeroplanes, so it has to be under three metres to fly on an aeroplane. Um, range of rigs that are all one design for kids and adults and, mm. and the whole thing. And um, a mast track, I mean, I, I love the windsurf one design, but it doesn't have a mast track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and for many, many years it had the worst retractable daggerboard system that you can imagine. <laughs> it was better. It was much better before the retractable daggerboard, in my opinion. Uh, <laughs> yes, it was really hard to be able to lift the daggerboard out and put it over your arm, and yes, you you get a bruised hip on, on your um, – which was the hip? On your left hip, you get a bruised hip from the daggerboard whacking your hip the whole time. <laughs> uh, but on the reaches that you could get this technique where you could free case and get the centerboard case out of the water so um, there would be no drag. So it was actually faster yeah. on the reaches and downwind than yeah. the retractable daggerboard one. And I'm really glad that Bruce Wiley has um, worked so well with Ricardo Giordano and, and, and a lot of people that love windsurfers, wind, the old windsurfer one design, and they've produced this really neat board. I, I, I've seen it sail. I haven't sailed one yet, but it doesn't have a an adjustable mast track, and it doesn't have um, the ability to be able to sail like um, most of the boards do where you stand in the back of the board in foot, strap, mm. uh, foot straps and, and send it. And um, I like I like being able to do that and catch waves and, you know, smoke downhill uh, and have a camber-induced sail. And mm. so we produced something that was um, a fraction of the price of the um, of the RSX and performs better than the RSX, and so um, yeah, my 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 end goal in the end wasn't to replace the RSX because even though the RSX is rubbish equipment um, <laughs> for a whole host of reasons, and it was all like Tom Ash, I'll never forget Tom Ashley who won the first gold medal in, on um, on the RSX. When he shifted from the Mistral One design to the RSX, he went out and sailed it uh, on the first day. He said he found it so awful he came home and cried. <laughs> Another four years that, of this. That, <laughs> Another four yeah, years. Yeah. Exactly. What exactly. have I got to look forward so to? So that almost, um, Bruce, exactly. it's, a, and, it's, and, a, uh, it's a great kind of a just circling all the way back to that accessibility factor yes. for the, one of the key and that, reasons. And, yeah we and a lot of people got into windsurfing was the accessibility. Is a, yep. is it what we're seeing now out of reach of the common Yeah, and that's, common that's man, what I, 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 I saw it start when uh, the Mistral One design uh, in uh, at the 92, sorry, the when are we, 96? And the 96 Olympic Games, I can't. We had to provide our own equipment. 2000 Olympic Games, the equipment was, we had to provide our own equipment too. So, um, yeah, um, I think the last Olympic Games where the equipment was fully supply, supplied was in um, Barcelona in 92. 92, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and in the, World Cha- the Mistral World Championships in 1993 and 1994, um, you had to provide your own equipment. And um, so that made it still affordable. And then 
Mistral went, you know what, we can't afford to do this anymore. We can't sell all the secondhand equipment. Mm. You've got to bring your own. Yeah. And that was that was the, the, the turning point for affordability to be able to do an Olympic campaign. Mm-hmm. Because suddenly, you, if you've got to provide your own equipment, you're going to burn through a lot of equipment trying to find those small differences. And yep. you've got to show up to the Olympic Games with brand new equipment to be competitive. And it's got to be the best brand new equipment. And so suddenly the arms race began. Yeah. And the Mistral one design was a fraction of the price of the RSX. And when we sh- and, uh, and by the time we got through to 2000, I think that the Mistral, I helped Mistral with the um, upgrade of the equipment. So it became, um, I was employed by Mistral to do this. So it was more one design, more durable without perfect- affecting the performance or the price. And we achieved that. So by Sydney, I think it was the most one design Olympic yachting equipment in the whole Olympic Games. Mm. And then they pretty much, um, they changed the the manufacturing from um, Germany to Malaysia and and all the knowledge that was there um, Mm. vanished. So the equipment, by the time we got through to Athens, was rubbish. So everybody got upset with it. And World Sailing had a beef with... um, um, Rory Ramsden, and they went right. We're going to get rid of uh, the Mr. One design at all costs, and it was a um, and it was a done deal, almost behind closed doors. It wasn't a democratic process at all, and uh, and the RSX got adopted, and um, we kind of know the story of the RSX. The difference with the RSX is they never got on top of equipment failure, and stuff was always breaking. They never fully solved it, and so. Um, and also they ended up with poor management inside Neil Pride, and so um, supply was really bad. So by the time we got through to Rio, everybody had had enough and everybody mm. just wanted to get rid of Neil Pride at all costs. Mm. And um, so we've managed to um, stumble and crawl through the Olympic Games in Tokyo with all the issues, and... Um, and and for sure, um, everybody was over having to pump around this heavy equipment and heavy rigs and all the rest of it because it was just a back-breaking bit of kit. <laughs> and um, it was awful. And um, they've ended up, you know, finding foiling, which is a hell of a lot more fun. Um, but it's almost double the price. Pretty unobtainable. Mm. Yeah. For one... One set of, say, for instance, an RSX. Say we're going to, I'm just going to throw some numbers out. Say if the RSX was 5000 Australian dollars and that was for the complete kit. Yeah. You're still going to have to buy and uh, go through um, probably 10 sales a year, um, bearing in mind that the Dutch team would only use a sale for 40 hours and then they'd discard it. 40 hours. Yeah. You know, and yeah. we, know, we know in, you know, the, the the classes with genicas they quite often only use a genica for one regatta and a laser sail that only uses a laser sail for one regatta mm. how's that sustainable you know mm. it's just not right if there was a really um, really good second hand market great but there isn't and this is the problem with the RSX there was no second hand market so churning through all this equipment with no second hand market um, now we've got um, boards going even faster. Um, more refined differences. More small differences are mm. going to have a big difference in performance. Mm. So, um, 
the mm. arms race has just increased, and so I'm really sad about what's happened to the whole. And it's 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 across the board. It's all in all of the yachting, really. Um, yeah, it's it's just it's just sad. So people that came from my means would, even though you might be the best, would never be able to compete. And I, I think that's a, that's a crying shame. You know, so, I've been helping the people from China and and Bali and Indonesia and all sorts of places and. And they've just got no money. I mean, here we are, you know, thinking about the Olympic Games and all the rest of it. And I go to these countries to coach and, like, you know, I was coaching the Indian Army Yachting Node and and, um, and I looked at these guys and and they're making centerboards and stuff out of plywood because their one's broken and, and it just doesn't work properly. And they'd, they'd patched their sails together with bits of laser sail <laughs> and, and they were just happy to go on the water, you know, and... And the chasm between these guys that are really keen, and they might be actually pretty good, but they'll never get there because they'll they'll never be able to get over that funding hurdle. And and of course, in a lot of these poor countries, corruption is just massive, and um, the people that make the the purchasing decisions are corrupt, and they've got no understanding of the sport. And so, these these developing nations will never compete again. So the only way to fix this is to sort of take it back to the basics. But um, it seems that world sailing, like I attended the um, the world sailing conference in Bermuda, and it appeared to me that no one in world sailing really had an understanding of the reality of of what yachting needs to be a, a truly you know, successful global sport. Unless developing nations can be competitive, it's never going to really go really, really well. It's always just going to be a, a sport for the rich, which I kind of think is sad. That's um, no. uh, we've um, we've had this. Sorry, boss, you to speak over, but we've had this conversation with Guillaume Verdier, this exact thing, and we want to try and create the Barcarati single hander where it's just super, super, super cheap. You get the plan like you used to do with the mirror. Yep. And you make it yourself yep. in the shed, and you go sailing, and it costs you about five hundred bucks. And that's so we get yep. everybody back out sailing. That sort of whole thing. That's our next project. Yeah, wow. it's the sad thing I've, I found, like I think the only time that can work, and in, in my um, observation, is in cases like the the windsurfer. Mm-hmm. And the reason the windsurfer, the reemergence of the windsurfer, is so successful in places like Italy, Italy, and and, and Australia, and maybe a bit in France as well. Is for nostalgic reasons, and it's yep. it's not new. It's not really a lot of new people coming into the sport, from my understanding. It's mostly guys that used to sail it, wanting to hang out with their mates and go sailing again. Yeah. And man, I want to too. I'm I really want to come across to Australia and race with all my mates in Australia. I've been talking to you know Stewie Gilbert and Scotty O'Connor and and um, you know and Dolly Devola and, 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 mm. and Paul Ashenko and you know I know Mark Paul's sailing and so is Sarah Kennedy and, mm. and, and, and and all these people I want to go sailing with those guys and just on simple one design affordable equipment again I mean and that's where the, that's where the roots of the sport were and and, and I'm, I'm, I'm sad it's probably not going to get back there um, all over the world I, I know that they want to there's an Italian guy that's come to New Zealand he wants to launch the wind surfer class but nobody in New Zealand's got interests in it they just want to go foiling yeah and mm. and I, I I see wing foiling is the next next thing because suddenly the rig's a lot more affordable you just have to worry about the foil and the board and it's it's not about racing it's about sort of burning around and having fun and um, so as soon as you take away that 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 aspect of it <laughs> and it's just you know going around um, 
no karate. I mean, it's no just it's just um, fun, you know. Yeah. Take so out the bar. Take it. Take the karate out of the bar, but add spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and beer. Don't forget the beer. <laughs> Uh, mate, yeah. I think we're well over. We're going to have to do another because you. The thing I'll say, Bruce, is the passion, mate. The absolute passion is just shining through, and um, <laughs> you know, the whole reason bar karate exists is to get more people sailing. And it sounds like you've got the exact same thing. Let's get people sailing and and having fun. So. I think we're going to extend the open invite to you, so you're welcome back to chat more at some stage. Um, I, I suspect, yeah. I suspect we could get another yeah, I, fifteen episodes out of you. <laughs> I, I want to talk, talk. I've just bought a um, a Farrier thirty two AX, which is a folding trimaran. Yeah. It's um, yeah, and I, um, we're in lockdown right now, and I just keep on going out there and fixing and making Tinkering. bits for the boat. And I just so want to get out there and yeah. go sailing, you know. Fantastic. Just a tip, though, Bruce, warm up your fingers for undoing the shackles. <laughs> <laughs> no shackles. I banned them. No shackles. <laughs> Soft shackles only. Soft shackles. That's it. <laughs> oh, Thanks. Hey, mate, uh, it was a ton of fun and we're genuine. Uh, we'll, we'll open up because we're happy to talk about the ferry. we got yeah, – it's cool. We're happy to talk about anything. There's so much passion there, mate. So, um, But, yeah, we, we're stoked to have you on the show. It was a real buzz for us. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. It's a buzz for me to be able to share some of my, uh, relive some of my experiences here. Yeah, thank you. Fantastic. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, guys. Good on you, Bruce. Cheers, mate. It's always fun, boys, when we get to sort of relive our youth with these these windsurfing episodes, you know. And Bruce Kendall, obviously, jeez, mm. he could talk. He's a, he's a great communicator. I love listening to him. That was good fun. Oh, so I'm much, so much. So revisiting these windsurfing uh, episodes, I've decided I've gone out and I'm buying one this week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back. I'm back. You're back. <laughs> BP. You wait to see these stories. Stand by. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> hey, and we didn't even touch on so much, like into the detail, no. like it was a broad overview. Oh, Man, yeah. he's uh, definitely coming back, no doubt well, about that. Um, he's, not, he's not short of a story. Or, well, or, or the willingness to tell them. Just on that point, um, we've always sort of joked, like we, we have some great conversations um, after we turn the recorder off, have some amazing conversations. And um, um, this, this episode, no different. And we, ne- we never turn it off. But he started telling a story, uh, the Dennis Connor story. And yeah. I, I switched on the record for it. Um, so at the end, after we've done the outro music, if you want to hear it, just stay listening because um, we, it, it's a good story. It's a good laugh, and uh, we just—I just normally I don't record anything, but this one I could sense it was going to be good, so I just hit record. So we've got <laughs> it. <laughs> Bravo, Bruce. Bravo. Bravo. Thanks, and I'd say we'll be having him back. Yep. Um, so I've got to say, boys, we went from one New Zealand legend. Um, and we recorded that earlier in the week. Unfortunately, since we had so much fun, um, we've we've lost a friend, very 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 close to home. This one, um, probably leave it to you, Bicey, to do the discussion, and then we'll respond to that, mate. Yeah. So um, yeah, late in the week, we lost one of the absolute legends and one of the biggest gentlemen in our sport, um, not only for Australia and New Zealand, but the world of yachting, and that's 
Mr. Jack Lloyd, former um, race director of the Volvo Ocean Race, um, and he's involved in the, the last of the Whitbreads um, as a jury. Um, I think you could safely say also anyone who's come through the ranks in New Zealand would have known Jack and would have known what he's done for yachting and what he's done for those particular people. And um, just to share a few personal experiences, like we work closely with Jack on many um, many projects. One was obviously the Volvo Ocean Race. Uh, two, he joined our team in the boatyard as uh, basically our chief compliance officer. And during that time when we're doing all the all the um, refits on the boats, he uh, he held up what we called the Anzac Embassy in Portugal, <laughs> <laughs> and that's where everyone lived and Uncle Jack, as Liz would quite nicely call him, um, kind of looked after everyone and everything, including our good selves. And to tell you the truth, I, I started trying to write some stuff down before, but I, I, couldn't, mm. I couldn't do it. Um, having spent a lot of personal time also with Jack and Joss and the whole family, it's just such a loss and you know, I'm – it's hit me for six to tell you the truth, boys. Yeah, mm, yeah we had a company with him as well. We were part of he was a director of the World Yacht Rally, which uh, Bice and I both are. And um, you know, we had a meeting scheduled with him in a week. Um, yeah, you know, so we, so we would talk regularly because COVID killed the World Yacht Rally, but we still met like once a month uh, via Zoom and just had a great laugh. You know, like that was part of it was a, one of the highlights of lockdown. Is just. That conversation with Jack and um, I know Joss will be devastated as will the kids. Um, yeah, it's it's just it it was an unexpected death. Put it that way. It, it wasn't COVID related, but uh, it was unexpected and uh, it's caught us all out because it was very very close to home. Yeah, well, I didn't I didn't know the man as well as you guys. I met him a few times, but um, obviously. Uh, to you both, uh, it's not a good thing, but to, to the entire family and to the entire yachting world, I think we've lost a great man. So I guess from my side um, mm. and, and on, on behalf of us here, um, commiserations to all. The worst. And uh, an avid listener of the show, Absolutely. mind you, um, and he was always keen and we'd always kind of had him on the list to bring him on to talk about some of his experiences in the industry over the last 50 or 60 years. And uh, he's he's had some, let me tell you. So, I got I just gonna be uh, sadly missed. How Jack? So, I've, I've sail just, on, old mate. Just had an idea. Mm. I think we just call the listener of the week episode. The listener of the week is the Jack Lloyd listener of the week. The Jack Lloyd listener of the week. I love oh, it. That's Perfect. that's that's a big. Uh, a big Does that question. still mean we they may or may not get a merchandise? Because <laughs> yeah. I think I promised Jack a couple of things. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah I'd, I'd say that that's how that's what we do. I, I just just so we keep his name in perpetual because he was yep. he was an avid listener of the show. Absolutely. Why don't we just do it forever? That's what I'm saying. The <laughs> Jack Lloyd, perfect. the Jack Lloyd he's, listener of the week. That's how what we call at, it. We're good now. at planning things on this show, aren't we? Oh, I just threw it out there. <laughs> we just voted. Righto, Jack. Jack, you are now immortalised on the Barkeradian uh, uh, listener of the week uh, presentation. So um, again, commiserations to all. Yeah. Um, all right, well, we'll move on from that because Jack would like us to keep going and laughing and uh, having a good time. And uh, actually, uh, one thought that just occurred, he was he was a main man in the, the Ginga Challenge too. 
He was. Oh, no. If there was ever a uh, the godfather of the Ginger Challenge, it was, it was Jack Charlie. Lloyd. Jesus, that's <laughs> well, our patron godfather gone. Jeez, it's been a tough week. <laughs> oh, well, oh no, Jack. Now, now he goes to another level. Yeah, he does. All right. this, is how, this is how gods are formed. Mm. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, all right. Well, let's just speaking, let's move on to something really positive. Um, club events. Who wants to run with that one? You. So um, you brought up the Silver Rudder cha- – um, is, is it the Silver Rudder Challenge, right? Basically, um, yeah, yes, from Hay Peters. Correct, which is basically um, seven boat categories. It's all single-handed. Yep. yep. And um, it takes place on the Equinox, which is the 7th. Yeah. Uh, so in a couple days' time. Um, started in 2012, and since then it's been it's gone gangbusters. Yeah, I've I've read about it. Yeah, it has, and uh, I read this uh, particular um, particular uh, message too, and uh, he's expecting an, an X2, a Fire X2 there next year apparently. So that's good. <laughs> there you go. So um, let's. Uh, what are the what are the numbers? What are we looking at here, boys? Like how many boats? Three, four hundred and thirty. Entries. Yes, it's massive. Wow. And it just goes so, to show you how the, the shorthanded scene is doing what it's doing. Yep. So 134 nautical miles. Um, it's just you and the boat and around Finn in uh, Denmark. So so what I like about this and the reason uh, – because he, um, he, he wrote in to tell us about this. He doesn't need any more people. Um, but he's obviously come up with – well, they've come up with a great uh, product that people want to be part of. Um, so, you know, maybe if you're interested, just Google the Silver Rudder Challenge and, and just have a look because they're having massive success. So he's just reached out to say, yeah, hey, look, this is working. Have a go. Mm. So love it. Love that sort of approach. Mm. And, we, and we'll pump it. Yeah. Yeah. And you're gonna, you'll be an entry one day, BP, in that little X2. I reckon. Yeah. Well, well, the invite was there, so you know, like, and you know how good we are at coming through with things. So I'll get onto that. <laughs> <laughs> Add it to the list. <laughs> no, no, all serious, all seriousness, absolutely. No, there's no, no, uh, no question. Events like these, uh, when they come our way, we'll definitely give them everything we got. And um, so, so hey, that's not hey as in as in hey. That's hey as in his name. I'm assuming that's how you explain it. How you how you pronounce it? Um, yeah, we don't know. We don't know. We just. <laughs> Hey, ye? give it a giving it a crack. We love it. Um, however, if we got it pronounced wrong, bud, we're sorry, but uh, we love you. Good work. Uh, I, yep. I can get your surname, Peters. Got that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, to everyone, check it out. Silver Rudder um, Challenge. Uh, you'll you'll see it. Great concept. Yep, great concept, awesome. and yeah, worth a look. Uh, listener of the week, anybody? The Jack Lloyd listener of the week. Well, yes. I the, had, the, inaugural, I had, the inaugural Jack Lloyd listener of the week. I had, we've got a couple this week. Um, one being Hayden Barney yes. for making a Mate, solid suggestion. Yeah, I know, but just, he, he's nonstop. Hayden, <laughs> he's <laughs> loving it. He's going after it. He's going after that listener. Yeah, of the week. well, he's obviously heard. Obviously heard. The other one. Harry Fisher, I had. Oh, He's yeah. put in his 
official uh, request to be listener of the week. Okay. Yeah, I love that. Um, <laughs> and so I'm not sure which way it's going to roll at the moment. Well, sure, but hang on. basically one Harry Fisher yeah. had is responsible for nominating Bar Karate for the Australian Sailing Sports Promotion Award, mm. of which you will uh, be attending via Zoom, I guess. No, I can <laughs> go live. Oh, oh, you can go live. I can go, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, the first leg of it anyway. Yeah. So it's official we have been nominated and our nomination's been accepted for the yeah. uh, Sports Promotion Award. Yeah. So um, sit tight, put it this way, Harry. If we do happen to win... Maybe we'll get you a merchandise pack. <laughs> we'll have to divert it from where it's going to at the moment, though. Do you know where it is? <laughs> yeah, Australia Post. Lose it all the time. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, just so for Hayden Barney's nomination, he put in this whole discussion about the options of learning to foil out there. Maybe start the process of getting it out in the community while also learning himself. He's saying there's not much opportunity, so he wants to – Pitch the idea that um, the clubs get a falling sailboat. Jeez, I can see that lasting about two weeks. Um, <laughs> maybe some wasps, um, easy, cheap, durable, um, and then a few private sessions and actually start embracing that uh, and try and get that going. So it's a good thought. It's a good thought. I don't know how it would proceed. Um, without giving anything away, BP, um, Hayden, we may be the saviours. Barkerati may be able to help all of Australia in the future as one of our um, ongoing projects without yes. giving anything away. There's nothing <laughs> being given away here. <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> <laughs> Apart from a bit of lip service. being <laughs> given away. Uh, look, there's the prospect of something quite exciting yes. about a year down the track. Um uh, with falling boats and a series, um, yeah, is it is that enough? I can just say that much. I don't want to say it in case it doesn't happen because we put the mozza on things if we say it too often. No, no, mate, it'll just... just get confused with the rest of the mess anyway. Well, so. okay. So the only question I have, BP, because with this falling series, let's just call it that. Um, do, do every entrant have to be a ginger? Uh, no, no, there has to be some form of relation to one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> past or present. Past or present. Past or present. <laughs> if it is past, if it is past, there has to be proof. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Um, so my nomination uh, is because Harry asked and said he should be – he basically said, name me the, uh, the listener of the week. Maybe we give it to Harry. Plus he's, he might get us an award. Yeah, Harry will uh, take it out this week. Yeah. So stand by, Harry. Hey, actually, that's quite appropriate, the inaugural Jack Lloyd uh, Listener of the Week to uh, probably the number four person in bar- the Barkerati family. Yeah, you're right. But I would, like to, right. I would like to pass on to Hayden to keep up the effort because <laughs> we are having an absolute crack with uh, some of the stuff that's coming in. Keep up the effort. Yep. Um, it enough. was close, I can tell you. The pressure was really on us oh, yeah. uh, in making that decision, but I can tell you you've got to mention – and you don't often get a mention on this show without a reason. So well done, Hayden Barney. <laughs> He's got plenty of mentions in the last few weeks. Um, I guess that their whole family listened pretty hard. I know that for a fact. Uh, on the there was a little bit of news out from in the America's Cup world with 
the the yacht squadron, New Zealand yacht squadron, and the uh, yacht squadron in the UK, uh, just talking about the protocol with the addition of the AC40. Did you guys see that? Certainly did. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's. I mean, was it all a bit of noise? Is it something real? Um, I mean, the AC, the introduction of the AC40. Certainly uh, point out a few different groups, including youth and females, mm. and trying to get them in the sport. Um, I hope it's not just lip service and it's actually real, um, but it could be pretty cool. But they're, they're going to be cool boats, expensive boats though, I'm sure. It's, That's it's, it. But it, uh, it's all about accessibility, all sorts of things. And is that the America's Cup? Are they responsible to... Make it accessible. Hang on, that's uh, the questions I had. Hang on, so hang on, hang let, on, let me throw something at you. I, I think it's a great idea, right? So the Youth America's Cup, that the, the women on it, um, the it's a one design foiling forty footer that looks exactly like the America's Cup boats that are currently there, right? Going to be in the next two because those two are the challenger of record. So whoever wins will do it in the next one. That's in the agreement. So there's going to be two editions. Our friends, very close friends at Persico, were the one they provided a, a lot of the one design elements on in the last America's Cup. Persico have just announced their Fly Forty falling boat, a one design fleet um, that's exactly like the America's Cup. It, is it the same boat? It'd be madness not to be the same. It's not the same boat. No, just BP's head's nearly shaken off. He's shaking his head no so hard. <laughs> So I wonder what the discussions have been. Maybe it is time to reach out. And, I mean, Luca didn't let too much on, but uh, reached out to one Mark Somerville or something. Oh, do they? Uh, go on, BP. You can. <laughs> Sounds like you've been consulted, BP. Did you understand any of that? Yeah, yeah, no. We don't understand your Italian. Yeah, well. Okay, so you're, you're giving us nothing, mate. There's... Nothing can be given. You are absolutely certain they're not going to be the same boat. So you know something. Okay, right. Well, that was helpful for the listeners. <laughs> no, that's uh, – yeah, that's good listening. <laughs> well, I'm not in a position to actually, you know, go down that path, but right. I can tell you that that's the answer. They're not the same boat. Okay. The, that's the, the conclusion. Let's move on because otherwise we're just wasting people's time. I want to get back on my high horse, boys. Go on. You know, yep. you know, yep. I am prone to getting on the high horse when it comes to the Olympics and uh, the size of the sailors. Yes. 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 We, Barkarati, mm. have gone and done the market research for world sailing. And I know world sailing listening to this show. Um, we've done the research for them. It's, we have. It's infallible data that people that love sailing are not small people. Yep. <laughs> Well, I can vouch. This I've is... been printing off the orders <laughs> today. I'm yet to reach in and grab an extra small, nor a small for that matter, nor a medium. The large is about the smallest we, we're uh, shipping out. So well, I, I, tr- I decided to help you on that, obviously, and I decided to get a couple of smalls for my daughters. Um, now, I plopped them on them this morning, and they're not small. <laughs> I'll grow into them, BP. But the point the point is, the people that passionately – I mean, we got a lot of passionate supporters on this show. The people that passionately support this show, everyone's big. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Is world sailing, is it going the wrong way? Like, um, are sailors just bigger than normal? Um, massive, massive topic, but you're... Oh, well, the data proves it. You know, the people are passionate no. for the sport. And uh, let's be honest, we, we, a lot of the people listen to the very top end of the fleet, like it's yeah. a lot in the world. Um, yeah, right. I'm just saying the data's out there, world sailing. You, you need to look at the data. And that empirical data is where people spend cold, hard cash and buy things, you know. The passion's there. Then. Right. So I think... Um, I'll, send them a li- I'll send them a list <laughs> of all T-shirts ordered to date and what <laughs> yeah, sizes. Yeah. This is our data collection from... Barclay. Here's our data collection. We have we- 232 data points. <laughs> <laughs> and we suggest that you change the Olympic uh, philosophy. Yeah. Based on the research we've done. Yeah, based, based on the research at Bar Karate, we suggest that all people are large or extra large. <laughs> I can just see the next world sailing meeting. So is this a proposal to change the fleet to larger vessels? What's the supporting data? Well, Bar Karate is selling a lot of big T-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, we'll take it to the next conference. Anyway, so I feel vindicated. That's all I want to say. I feel vindicated. Um, mm-hmm. But we will take it to the next conference. We'll get a few people on the inside. Um, Sarah Kenny, I'll pick up the phone to you uh, during the week and uh, make sure you're aware of this data. Um, right. Um, I think she's Vice President of World Sailing now. Right. Uh, Oh, world champs. Bunch of world champs that we have to... Yes. First off, um, massive congratulations to Slingers. Uh, What a scorecard. Like, look at the quality of that field and just, no worries, (laughs) do it easy. I think we we touched on it last week. It's even good for the media because they can use uh, Harry Fisher's footage from last year. That's right. It's just nothing changed. So Don't have have to put any money into media. Yeah. Use the same footage. Uh, outstanding result from Goobs as well. Um, yes. Yep. Yeah, no, um, my outstanding result? Yep, no. Outreach. Sailing in a stock standard off-the-shelf um, Mac 2 or 2.6, whatever they 2. call 6, it. 2.6, yeah. Of which is a fraction of the cost of all the other moths out there. Yeah. A fraction. <laughs> so shows one thing, doesn't it? I know um, it was that was the reasoning behind that that he wanted to do that in a stock standard off the shelf um, boat, of which he's done in a very credible third. Yeah, third? very credible yeah. third. Did he get third? <laughs> yep. Yeah, um, or equal with four, uh, Phil Rot. Phil Rob. I think Robert. Phil Robertson got fourth. Um, Kyle, didn't Kyle sneak in there? Uh, um, anyway, uh, just pull the results up. I haven't looked. Um, yeah. Oh, seventh. Seventh. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah, no, that's a good point. It's a great point. But uh, it's great for singers. So we have to compliment him on that. So, um, but of course, that Moth World's had a lot of the sailors that are on Sail GP. Sail GP yeah. um, is on right now in Saint Tropez in France. And. For some reason, I think we upset them this week because normally they put the racing on Friday, Saturday, so we can do the discussion about the thing. They try and put their series around our our publishing date. Um, (laughs) And I know they work pretty hard to make sure, but this time around they haven't done it. We've only had one day because we're recording as they're about to start day two. Um, So we can't. Boys, quick, quick correction. 
I just uploaded, <laughs> just updated my results yep. for the moths. Yep. And it wasn't third. Nath was uh, eighth. Yeah, no. My mistake. Yep. Yeah, no. sorry. No, I still, didn't. Think still, so. in that fleet, in that fleet, if you're, as uh, as Lucas said a couple of weeks ago, if you're in the top twenty, you're you're working. Yeah, I love that saying. If you're in the top twenty, you've got a job. <laughs> yeah, you've got a job. Um, yeah. So anyway, but that that uh, that success in the moths hasn't transposed across to day one of Sale GP in Centro Bay. Do you think it's a hangover? Maybe the moth froth was too large. Yeah. The moth, the moth froth. <laughs> yeah, Mothy, look. Mothy frothies. They, they keep going to lean out and, and oh, hang on, <laughs> falling out of the boat, you know. Um, I don't know. But, but anyway, it's, uh, it's uh, Spithill and the US team looking pretty glamour after day one and the New Zealand team uh, are coming, are coming. So Pete and, Pete and Blair and uh, that whole team of medalist champions on that boat uh, coming there. Pete, Pete responding to a bit of a uh, bit of flack during the week about did you see that? Uh, they were saying that he's only good if he's got a big design team behind him, and I'm just I read it. You're kidding me, aren't you? This is the best sailor in the world, no doubt, one of. Uh, I mean, it yep. just, it's, the world just oh, wow. makes me laugh, doesn't That's it? That's a bold statement. That is a bold it? statement. Just, Ever heard of the Olympics? Yeah. yeah I, I just, I Every just, race he puts his name down to. You know, first of all, to be sailing one of those things, uh, you know, you've got to have a little bit of knowledge. And yeah. it's, it's just so funny. Yeah. Ah, oh, the world we live in. The world we live he's in. He's sailed it about six hour. times and now he's uh, – yeah, anyway, we'll see. But uh, light winds, um, it's, so they sailed three up day one. So the sort of vindication of Bice's philosophy that they're moving to remote control set up. Um, so three, three up on that day. Um, yeah, the Aussies had a shocker. Um, Langford broke some things from what I've heard. Um, unusual. Unusual. <laughs> it's just not like him. Uh, anyway, so um, so anyway, next, uh, another day to go, good fun. But the one thing that is completely over is the Star Worlds. Boys, we were a bit fired up last week. Uh, congratulations, Diego Negri and uh, Fithjof Clean. I have... I hope I've destroyed that. But what a scorecard! Not quite. Oh, yeah. <laughs> shut up. Not quite. Not quite Slingsby, but um, fourth in race one. They didn't. They took a, like three days to get racing underway. It was just no wind, and uh, they had a little bit of wind uh, second last day, and then um, um, four one 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 two. Don't bother sailing the last race. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful. The way you like to do it, Jay. Yeah, well, I like consistent scorecards. Um, that's right. Yeah, so congratulations. That's that. That's a funny one, though. Do you know? Do you check the media links on that one? Did you check the media conversation on that one? Because uh, um, Mr. Clean, let's just call him Mr. Clean. <laughs> Get myself out of trouble there. He's won the worlds before. They. He's a German sailor right. um, and he has won the Star Worlds before and Diego's had like three seconds or something but hasn't won them. And he was saying that uh, he was saying that every time they're having a tactical disagreement on the boat, he'd point up to the silver star on the sail and say, I've got a gold one of those. You need to listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> so now they've both got Bravo. a gold one. Hey? Bravo. Bravo indeed. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So yeah, that was a good one. So that stars stars is uh, it's still going strong. That was sailed at Kiel of Ocker. and then uh, onto the Maxi World Champs. 
Yeah, well, the Maxi World champs, it seems uh, there's a bit of a pandemic in the wind world as well. Everything we talk about, there's been a lack of wind. Lack of wind. And uh, that includes the Maxi Worlds. Mm. Um, and pretty light airs, late starts. There was some good racing. Cannonball, I guess you'd say, which was the uh, winner of the Mini Maxi yeah. um, class. Probably the highlight of it all. Um, but a fantastic place to go sailing, having a good time. Um, the odd Kiwi and Aussie are over there um, based on travel restrictions, but not many at all, to tell you the honest truth. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, not a bad place to go. Yeah, um, a as for any other key results, nothing outstanding, um, apart from a lot of really big boats sticking to the water. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> really, really big boats. <laughs> It, it, is a, it is a very cool plate. Um, have you been there, Bicey? Yeah, a couple of times, I think. <laughs> um, we, uh, we've had our experience there, there um, Jordan. Yeah. Uh, I, was just, I was just going to say, uh, my recommendation, if you're ever going to Porto Chervo, don't buy a steak at a restaurant. Correct. Yeah. yeah you're Correct. probably going to eat horse or donkey is all I was yeah, but it's nice horse or donkey. Yeah, go uh, just get a pizza. It's easier. Um, but yeah, no, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Like, uh, and great time. And uh, actually, we got a story from that restaurant. Remember that time we went to that pizza place, and that uh, influencer walked in there, boss. The influencer, yes, yes that was a good still story. etched in my memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we shall of, move lots on. Of, lots, of, <laughs> lots of stories about that place, and that's why we go there. Yeah, fantastic. Um, nothing much else we we sort of got to do. I'll just remind. We'll we'll add a little bit on of uh, Bruce the the Dennis Connor story. Yes. Um, anything you want to report on tees and hoodies? Tees and hoodies are slowly creeping out the door. Yep. Um, so keep your orders coming in. Just go to the merchandise page on the website and order through there. Um, yeah, and we're yeah getting solid orders. So the current stock shouldn't last too much longer, to tell you the honest truth, gents. Um, so for all the listeners that do want something, uh, get in there quick. Um, the other one, I think, boys, is we did a call out for if you did want somebody – as a guest, you know, we're missing out on a few. We, we've had some great emails, um, including like Slingsby sending us a message saying, interview this guy, um, which is cool. Um, but, yeah, some great listeners sending in some great ideas and we've actually picked up on a couple because we hadn't, didn't even think of those people. So it's been fantastic. So if you do have ideas, we listen. We're, we're out quite a few weeks, um, so we don't ignore you if we don't come back to you straight away, but we are listening. So if you feel like sending notes, cheers at barkerati.com is uh, the email address. Yeah. Yeah, hit it up. And um, also, yeah, just chase us up on the, on the normal socials. Give us a like. Give us a recommendation. It always helps. So Happy thanks, days. listeners. World's longest yeah. episode, I suspect. Yep. This, this one. Yeah. Got some length about it. <laughs> oh, so. This one's been going for about a week. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. All right. Righto. Stay Bear safe, well, everyone. gents. Thanks for listening to us. Thanks, See listeners. Bye. See you, everyone. Fire up, BP. Fire up. Go. Oh, hang on. Oh, Get the slide out. Yeah, righto. Hang on. So good. You don't know so good.
guy, rich New Zealand guy in the Etchells. And um, he wasn't a very good helmsman, right? And um, <laughs> so we've, we're in this race and, and we're doing okay and we're, we're in front of Dennis Connor, right? And um, we're coming across on starboard and um, a long way in front of him. And I said, okay, we've got Dennis there, but we want to protect the left. So we'll let him cross behind our stern and then we'll tack on to port and just parallel him out to the right-hand side, take him to the ley line and, and you know, we'll have him at the top mark. And so, so John took that to mean tack on Dennis's face, <laughs> which is exactly what we didn't want to do. You know, I wanted to cart him right out to the right-hand side. Anyway, um, so as we tack on his face, of course, Dennis has to tack. And as he tacks, he shouts out, just remember, guys, what goes around comes around, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, we've pissed off Dennis. This isn't good. Pissed off the <laughs> big fella, re- the DC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a reputation, right? So anyway, Joey Allen was in with Dennis, on Dennis's boat, and I'm not sure if you know Joey Allen. But, yep, sure. Um, and, and, you know, I've known him for years. Joey's, Joe's a classic. And um, so Dennis said, who is that? Who are those guys? <laughs> And Joey said, oh, yeah, Bruce Kendall's on that boat. And he goes, well, tell Kendall if he fucks with the old bull, it'll get the horn. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like And I'm like, oh, oh, no, okay, I'm in trouble now, you know. So we're going through to the end of the regatta. And towards the end of the regatta, um, I've been noticing, um, and this is right after one of the America's Cups, so it's, the whole fleet's filled with these really good sailors. And so the fleet's super strong. And, and I've been noticing that the wind had been oscillating as um, the, the sea breeze interfered with the land breeze and clouds and stuff. And I had it sorted out. And so I, as I saw these clouds forming over the mainland, I knew it was going to go right. Anyway, and, and, but at the start line, it was left-hand face. And it was a real strong left-hand face. So everybody started the, at the port end. But I started at the starboard end because I knew it was going to go hard right. So I started at the starboard end on port, classic, you know, just like Los Angeles in a sense. And we boosted out to the right-hand side. And the only other team that came with us was the Japanese. We were so far in front of the whole fleet at the top mark, it was ridiculous. And so um, I saw the, all the fleet fighting with Dennis just behind us the whole way around the course. And, and as we're coming into the finish, downwind finish, I just so wanted to stand up on the back of the boat, pull down my pants and go, Toro, Toro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, beautiful. Oh, yeah. There's plenty of plenty, plenty it, of Connor stories. There you go, DC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. 